Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, he is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, so join in that conversation on our social media accounts. You can find all of them on OchoDuroParlayHour.com. And remember to use the hashtag ODPH because we definitely want to interact with you. Kicking off the sports edition of the ODPH this week, we are going to be recapping the epic TV event, mm-hmm. and that is the only way I can describe it, Yeah, of The Last Dance, episodes 9 and 10, the saga of the 1998 Chicago Bulls' last run to the NBA championship. Well, and, and arguably, not just the 98 run to the championship, but also just Michael Jordan's whole life and career up to this point. It, there was so much that was going in when this was announced that when we saw the trailers come out right around Super Bowl time, mm-hmm. we were all very excited. That I think Coach Duffy, Pad, myself, mm-hmm. social media lit up and was really like, okay, what are we getting here? Because we knew that eventually it was going to be coming out. And just seeing all the behind-the-scenes footage of that final run and getting those candid interviews with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil yeah. Jackson, Dennis Rodman, the list goes on and on and on of NBA greats and legends during that time. It is enough to really ignite a fan base. And obviously everything going on with C-19, mm-hmm. it has taken on a whole other different level. Yeah. So this past Sunday, we got to episodes 9 and 10 to close out the series. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking spoilers. I mean, at the, but at this point, it's like 20 years ago. So you should know what happens. You should know what happens. But there's so it's, like, well, it's like a funny story. Uh, 15 years ago, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith happened. That came out in theaters, which everyone was real excited for. But you went into it knowing how it was going to end. You knew how it was going to end, but you didn't know about a lot of the interviews going on in between. So we want to give you a little fair warning. So in case you want to save it and watch it for yourself and then join in the conversation, we're giving you that fair warning. But we're going to jump right into it. Three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? I thought it was amazing. You know, all things considered, it was awesome to see the buildup in the in the. You know, from his childhood years to his college years to early in the NBA and, and through his real rise and, and domination of the entire league, it was nice to kind of see, you know, I won't even say the decline because there was no decline. You know, he was still on top. And it's like he said at the end of the uh, documentary, you know, that it was maddening that he retired, that he could have gone for a seventh one. And I genuinely believe that. Like, I know there's this whole, you know, oh, because Rodman was old and and Pippen was old and then Jordan was he still could have friggin' done it and I and I and I like the argument some people were making in the uh you know hours after the documentary aired let's not forget the season after that was a shortened season which would have absolutely benefited those guys well there are so many different factors going on and where these episodes jump in to close out the series we see the backstory of Steve Kerr's time with the Bulls mm-hmm. and just how he came in with John Paxson you know to take up the role and be in the clutch guard shot that Michael needed to balance out. And we see the battles they were going through, especially the ones with the Indiana Pacers. Mm. And at that time, if you're not too familiar with the the battles that when Indiana was facing the Knicks, I know firsthand, unfortunately, being on the other side of Reggie Miller throwing daggers for threes and just yeah doing the choke signals right to Spike Lee as, as he knocked them out of the playoffs a couple of seasons. Just to know how Indiana was at that time, and I think a lot of people forget that because – 
you just don't realize in that era of basketball, Jordan dominated, but there's so yeah. many other great teams that were there. Yeah, they like they weren't, you know, like a, the Golden State Warriors from a few years ago or Miami Heat, you know, a few years before that. They weren't, you know, superstar, superpower, super dominant, but damn it, they were balanced. They were balanced. Reggie Miller, Rick Smith, I mean, that entire squad there. It was just absolutely crazy to see how much they had on that team and where they were giving the Bulls the real problems. And mm-hmm. it was just so much focused on Reggie Miller's time there too in yeah. Indiana. And just he was a lot in Michael's shadow and during mm-hmm. that time. And just no matter what he could do at that point, he could not eclipse the Bulls. Right. Because when Jordan came back from his little stint from baseball and really got into focus mode, this series has really demonstrated his mental preparation is second to none. No, yeah, it is. And to see how he gets focused for games, and you see how hard that series was to to beat the Pacers. And you're sitting there probably going, well, it's Michael Jordan. He was going to do it anyway. But to see those behind the scenes when they were up and down and just the interaction of when they were on the ropes mm-hmm. and to see how he bounces back and he willed that team, I mean, that is just absolutely mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. Out just to see that Jordan could really elevate his team and make them better, for better or for worse as a teammate, because mm-hmm. he wasn't exactly a patch-on-the-back guy. Right. He challenged you and brought the best out of you. And for that team, that's what he needed to do. Because, oh, yeah. Because I think if if you go back to see the series when Scottie Pippen was was the head person on the Bulls during mm-hmm. Jordan's you know, exile there, shall we say. His recess. Yeah, his recess, whatever you want to find his time off. Pippen was not exactly that guy, and they no. did demonstrate that too when you didn't want yeah. to come in for the final shot and coach took it uh, in the one playoff series. It just goes to show the different mentalities going around. Mm-hmm. To see what Jordan had to do to really step up and push that pace and really challenge the his team to step up to the physicality of the Pacers at the time was truly something to see about how they got into the playoffs and where they ran with it. And then after they finally defeated the Pacers, and he said that was his arguably – greatest challenge during his playoff run. Oh yeah, because you got to like they said in the episode, you know, when they, they went to game 7 of those uh, Eastern Conference Finals, that it, it was the first time since what did they say 92, 93. Mm-hmm. It had been a no, a couple of years since Jordan in any round had gone to the final game of that series. Yeah, it's absolutely wild to see because you think about it when they set the record for all-time wins mm-hmm. in a season. And then when they really were just running away with yeah. with the NBA. I mean, at, at that point, it wasn't as dominant as mm-hmm. it was when, um, you know, like in comparison now with the West. Like the West yeah, yeah, is just yeah, running yeah. away with everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The East was very, very balanced at that time. And I mean, sure. it's not like that these days. I will say that for, no. <laughs> for record. But it's just crazy to see sitting back and watching of how Jordan really had to step up to the East and take out the West, too. Mm-hmm. and really kind of push that pace. Because once they got into the playoffs against Utah, uh, and you see the crazy stories going on there. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about the flu game, if you talk to any NBA fans. And mm-hmm. then, Pat, we got the breakdown of one of the biggest secrets of all. Yeah, that it, you know, so, of course, the longtime story with the 1997 NBA Finals uh, Game 5 was Jordan was sick, and he had the flu, and, you know, he had gotten and I, he was so sick and he was up all night throwing up and he came to the uh, arena and was just so beleaguered looking that they hooked him up to an IV and he barely made it through the game. Of course, there's the infamous shot of of, of Jordan going back down the court and Scotty holding him as he's almost fallen over, collapsed, and you know one of those you know oh look at him power through the flu. Uh, come to find out, it wasn't the flu. It was according to Jordan and his trainer, uh, food poisoning. 
See, that is just such a wild story to hear because when they really break it down, him and his tra- uh, trainer was saying that that night. Uh, the night before. The night before, rather, that Jordan's security team ate without him for dinner. And Well, that, yeah. That's what he said. They went out early without him. Oh, right, 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 right. So thus he ordered an entire pizza by himself, and it was delivered by five delivery people, which right. they all thought was kind of suspect, and I would agree, too. Yeah. No matter what time of day it is, it's like... At the same token, though, like, it's suspect, and, like, who knows if it actually happened or not. But at the same token, like, okay, if you're a longtime Utah resident and you're a Utah Jazz fan, you generally, I would guess, this is me saying this without living in a big city and knowing this kind of information, Mm -hmm. I would imagine you know where the sports teams tend to stay when they're in town for a hotel. So if you're running a food delivery joint and it's like, oh, hey, deliver it to, you know... The Marriott over on, you know, East Main Street or something, and it's like an odd time of night, you might go, all right, this is either somebody coming really drunk back from a night out, Mm. or it's an athlete. Yeah, you have to think something's going on, but when hearing about Jordan and how his security team, he was calling for the team doctor, and he was in there curled up, and he had food poisoning, and still put on a performance. Mm -hmm. Like, let us not forget, that was one of the most iconic games in all of NBA history. Right. To see Jordan come out and put on the performance to really shut Utah down. Well, and I know a lot of people were kind of like, not even making fun of him, just just like kind of flabbergasted that Jordan would run with, oh, it's the flu game for 20 years. Do we not forget earlier an earlier episode where the story of that one player i forget who detroit for detroit or something like that it was for washington that was like oh he trash talked to michael and michael used that as motivation to get back at him at the very next game because they were playing a back-to-back and it came out in the documentary that he made the whole thing up are you really like michael jordan made up a story about a guy talking trash to him to motivate himself for the next game are you really that surprised he would just let the flu game thing go no, I'm not. At this point, no. To hear about it now, which is just kind of really interesting to see all the reporters and everybody that was around him at that time. Also, uh, to, to me, For me, I'd let it go, too, because it sounds a lot cooler if I'm telling the story to friends. Like, oh, yeah, I played a basketball game through the flu. It sounds a lot better than, oh, yeah, you know what? I just had really bad food poisoning. Right. But to see how he handled himself during that game, too. I mean, just an amazing performance. Yeah. yeah. And I is you always see that iconic shot where he does. Everybody says it was a push off, but there's no way. No, God no, no. there was there God was no, no way to push off, and he nails the game winning shot there. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely iconic, just to think of how he just wills himself to win, and nobody else that you've ever seen really matches up. I mean, can no. you can you name anybody that's come close? No, I like I know some people say, oh Kobe, oh LeBron, they had their fair share of misses. You know, LeBron, I know that was the big thing for a while was he could never make the big shot when it came up clutch time. Mm-hmm. To me, there has not been, since Jordan retired, or since Jordan was playing, another player that when they had the ball, that, you know, crunch time, regular season, postseason, they had the ball, and I'm like, you know what? It's game over, man. Just like Dennis Rodman said for the final game of the, I believe it was the 98 uh, NBA Finals, when Jordan had the ball. And he's like, we might. And Rodman was like, we might as well back the bleep off because there's no way in hell he's passing this thing. There's no way he's missing. There, oh, ha- yeah. there hasn't been anybody. No, there definitely hasn't. I mean, Jordan to realize the legacy he's left, and I mean, we all just know sitting as fans watching outside looking in. Mm-hmm. But to see just the behind the scenes preparation and just the attitude and drive he possessed, yeah, it, it's one half madness and the other half perfection. Like mm-hmm. it's just absolutely crazy to see how he brought 
the best out of his team, win, lose, or draw. Yeah. And his only motivation is to win at all costs, mm-hmm. even to the point where he becomes his own isolated persona. Yeah. Which, I mean, just to sit there and watch, and you see how he is with the public. And, I mean, he was the first real big sports superstar. Yeah. To my recollection, like, that just stood out and transcended the sport and just mm-hmm. became, you know, larger than it. Well, I mean, yeah, because even for me, at the time he was in his heyday and his, his big time, I didn't watch basketball. I didn't really know anything about basketball other than you shoot the ball into the hoop and you score points, mm-hmm. you know. But in terms of teams and players and, and what have you, I'd heard of the Bulls and I'd heard of Michael Jordan, but that was because of how just the commercials and Space Jam and everything else that he just transcended. I knew one player and that was it. And anything else, I see jersey. I'm like, okay, there's a. I'd see a New York Knicks jersey here and there because we're in New York. I'd be like, all right, there's a team in New York. Okay, I'd see a name. I'd be like, I have no idea who that is. But I'd see a per, somebody wearing a Bulls Jordan jersey. I go, I know exactly who that is. Yeah, because he was the first, in my opinion, the first one to really stand out and become so much of a global factor. Mm-hmm. More so than his sport. I mean, he was just everywhere. I mean, this is the first time you really saw endorsement deals break yeah. down. I mean, everything from Nike yeah. to Gatorade to what have you. And as everywhere he went. He was winning, even with baseball too. When he took yeah. the little derivative for the three, you know, for the season and a half. Yeah, he still was being productive and just going to show just how his mental preparation, his work ethic, mm-hmm. everything that you saw out of him, and it became, like I say, a borderline obsession. Well, I think that just speaks to just how good his basketball. You hear of the term a lot of his basketball mind. You know, mm-hmm. you hear with LeBron and Kobe and all this other, all this, some of these other players. But I think that just speaks to his basketball mind. It almost it reminds me a little bit because you remember earlier episode where he was filming uh, Space Jam, mm-hmm. and he had all those players come over, and he and his team were basically studying the other players. And he knew, but if if he's on the court, he knows what all five players on the court are going to do at any time. It reminds me of when you were pl- used to play Madden, and you're playing as Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. and on occasion you'd see what one of the defenders is going to do for the play. It's almost like he's got the same thing going in his head, like okay. I got, you know, Hakeem down low. He's about to go left on a pick and roll and try and stop this guy, so I got to go right. Yeah, it's just absolutely brilliant to see. I mean, no better case than, in, especially in this episode, when he's talking about the Steve Kerr game-winning shot in, mm-hmm. uh, in the 97 finals. And I love or, Steve Kerr's comment afterwards. Oh, yeah, his comment is perfect. <laughs> and when he, Jordan just tells him, he goes, he knew that John Stockton was going to double-team him, and he was going to be open for the shot. And Kerr... Being somebody that understood how Michael ticks, mm-hmm. said, I'll be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, that is just what he expects out of his team. And, I mean, even, sp- I believe it was episode six when he gave that very impassioned speech at the end. Yeah. I would never ask any one of my teammates to do something I wasn't ready to do. Yeah. And that is what you see as a true leader, that he's down in the trenches with you. He's doing everything that you he would expect you to do because he's doing it with you. Mm-hmm. And to see that he has been very gifted around with a great team. Yeah. Not, not just a couple players like you see in the modern NBA. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. The Bulls, when they were on fire, I mean, you still had the one-two punch of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. You can kind of substitute in, if you want, Horace Grant and Dennis Rodman. Right. And then John Paxson for the first three, and then Steve Kerr for the last three mm-hmm. of the run. I mean, but he has always had a great team around him. Say what you will about Jerry Krause. He did get the players around him. Yeah. Obviously, did not end well in you know the warm and fuzzies. But to see how it all ultimately ended, and that was the final episode of the series of the final playoff run, mm-hmm. and to see where Jordan and just case in point, his what should have been his last shot or his last moment is nailing the game-winning shot, and right. that's where everybody knew, 
okay, when they got the ball back and he had to nail that shot, mm-hmm. Scotty Pippen knew he wasn't getting the ball. Like you said, Dennis Rodman yeah, yeah. knew. Everybody said yeah. they were getting out of Mike's way, and Phil Jackson was going to let him run the time, which just shows how much faith Phil had in Michael, that Michael could sit there with his basketball IQ and break it down uh-huh. and see, okay, if we don't take a timeout, they're not going to have time to set up. I am going to be take what they give me. Yeah, And he literally worked that defense until he got the perfect shot going. And it's just so absolutely crazy to see. With six seconds left, he nails that game-winning shot. Mm-hmm. And they wind up winning. And I can't have been the only one that when Al Michael said, we might have possibly just seen the last shot for Michael Jordan in his NBA career. I can't have been the only person going <laughs> about that. Well, you know what? At that point, it should have been. But yeah, no, it should have been. Like th- For me, as a fan, that's the one he should have gone out on. Yeah. I understand later, which we're not going to have another last dance and talk about his return to Washington. Right. If that happens, I don't think we're going to be covering it on the show. I don't want to see any of that. But that should have been the shot he went out on. Because, yeah. obviously, as we talk about, Jerry Krause decided to go into the transition phase. And mm-hmm. as a business standpoint, I understand his logic. I don't necessarily know if I agree with it. Uh, yeah, no, I get where he's coming from, from the money aspect and from the just where the players were physically aspect. I get it. But at the same token, to the the physicality aspect of it, Tim Duncan in his final few years was nowhere near where he was in his prime. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize this might be apples to oranges because I'm talking different time periods and different stuff medically and what they're able to do, but I digress. But you look at Tim Duncan and just how managed he was. And I'm not saying this in a negative way. Just how managed he was minutes throughout the season so that when it came time for playoffs... He was ready to go. Mm. They, there were games, you know, there there was the infamous game when the, the Spurs were supposed to come in and play Miami, and Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan all didn't travel with the team because they were managing their minutes, and they weren't going to play. And, and fans got all pissy, and they got the NBA. But, you know, you can't tell me that in an instance like that, you couldn't have done that with some of those players if they came back for, you know, another run. At that point... No, I don't think he could have. And I think that the Bulls, if they wanted to go back for one more run. You could have talked him into it. You could have talked him into Scotty it. Scotty would have been the only one I think would have been like the real hard one. Well, obviously he took a very beneficial contract to the organization. I mean, what was it, like nine years, 18 oh, million, it something? It was It was, you never see that deal get signed in this day and age of the God, NBA. no. No way. To, to, he would have been the one that would have been a problem, but I think ultimately if Michael had gone to Jerry Reinsdorf and said, I'll come back, but these are my demands, mm-hmm. I think Reinsdorf would have caved to him. Oh, yeah, easily. And I think that if they could get Phil to come back, because he was the ultimate linchpin, and I know Jerry Krause wanted to move on. And Right. You know, if anybody comes out like a villain in this series, it's Krause. Yeah. If they could have got Phil back... They could have got Kerr and Rodman, I think, to come back easily. Oh, yeah. And then Pippen, I think, ultimately would have. But I think he would have had probably the biggest contract on the team. He wouldn't have been the 121st highest paid player in the NBA. No. And then also leads to an argument, too. We heard Michael at the end of the series as mm. he was winding up saying he wanted that one, one last shot. Yeah. And then he finally heard about Jerry Reinsdorf's reasoning for not coming back, which, yet again, we have another meme that's hit the Internet. Mm-hmm. So that being said, Pad, let me ask you this. If you were the GM at the time, do you bring him back and do you win the next season? Yeah, I absolutely. If if there's an option, because obviously hindsight being 2020, since Jordan retired, 
the bull, I saw a stat since Jordan retired up to, I want to say it was last year recently. The Bulls have like either the worst or second worst record in NBA history. Mm. You know, in I think like it's either they're number one and the Clippers are number two, or it's it's flipped. It's one of the two. Yeah. If if you're seeing, they're telling me, I got the best player in NBA history, to willing to come back for one more year and one more run, and you and I sit there and say no, I need my head examined. I I would put everything aside. And go one more ride. I think you do have to sign. You have to take that shot if they feel that they want to come back. Yeah, if if you got a if you got Michael Jordan, you know, substitute Kobe, substitute LeBron, whoever mm. you want, Steph Curry, saying at the end of their career, you think they're done. This is the last year on their contract, and they step into your front office and you're the general manager, and they go, you know what, I got one more year in me. I'm willing to come back. You have to say yes. You have to. Just the only question I would have is, do they win the next season? Yes. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I know Coach Duffy got on Twitter and had a great conversation with Dre about that. Shout out to Dre. Uh, he came up with the hot take. He said they don't win. He, I think they do because wasn't the 99 season shortened? Oh, it was a shortened season. It was a shortened season, which would have played perfectly for, for Jordan and, and Pippen and Rodman and all those guys. That, okay, yeah, they're older. Yeah, they need time management. But, Christ, shortened season, that would have been perfect. Perfect for them. They would have easily been able to take the Spurs. See, I think it would have gone 50-50. I think they would have got back, but I don't know if they beat the Spurs. I genuinely don't. I think that it is literally a coin flip. Because like Part of me also wants to see Rodman versus uh, Tim Duncan in his prime down low. Oh, that would have been amazing. Ugh. I mean, you, you take a look at that team that they had with the Spurs at, at 98. It would have been the battle. Mm-hmm. I just say I don't know. I can't say 100% they would have ran away with it again because well, they, they wouldn't have run away with it. It would have been as tough, if not tougher, than the Utah series in 98. Oh, it, that's what I say. Like It would have been so tough. I just don't know if they pull that trigger on it, that I think they get close. But then if that happens, do they win? Mm-hmm. I mean, like to get to come back and be that close and not win, that would have been so devastating. Like, I don't understand how you can do that. I really don't. That if you come back after all that and it's a letdown, I mean, I'm not saying the legacy would have been tarnished. I, no. I mean, Jordan solidified himself. I mean, there there was no way that they do not go into the upper echelons and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't run away with things. It is just absolutely crazy to see that – you know, if they don't pull it off, like what would happen? And it's just it. Father time catches up with everybody. It's not mm-hmm. to say it's not to say that they would have been shortchanged or they wouldn't have pulled it off. It's just one of those weird things that I think they would have been close, but minute, but San Antonio was on such the rise then. Right. I don't know. Like I, I really, it is one of those things you can always debate to the end of time. But overall, though, what the last dance has shown us is given us that insider view of Michael Jordan, which... Also, like, a Santa's bag full of memes. Oh, yeah. The meme game for this is, is going to be legendary. But, Pat, let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What was your standout moments from this series? Uh, st- I'll obviously stand out moment, Jordan playing his security guy and tossed a quarter to the wall. Because, mm-hmm. holy shit, that was amazing. Um, I For me, it's all the behind-the-scenes stuff that, you know, for a lot of the stuff that I had never heard about and, and didn't know just because I was so young 
when he was in his prime and just and, and just seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff and, and finding out just how difficult it's it looking back it seems so easy and they had such an easy time of it and they were just dominant and this that but it really wasn't mm-hmm. no for me because this is the era i grew up in this is when being a knicks fan it was one of those things that i hated seeing jordan win but i respect him and just to see the behind-the-scenes work, because you don't appreciate it at the time. Right. It's just, it, you know, when you're young, you don't think about the factors of how much preparation goes in and, and really to take your game to that level and really be the drive home. You just don't understand it until you see something like this. And to deal with, okay, one, how does he handle egos? Mm-hmm. Because let alone he has his own ego to deal with because he knew the potential he was bringing to the team. Mm. And just when you start taking a look at how he was interacting with other players, from Rodman and letting him go on vacation, let alone during that 98 season, I forgot it was during the finals. That's when Rodman went to World Championship Wrestling for the gimmick with Hulk Hogan and, and the NWO. Suppo- supposedly, from what I was seeing online, either Sunday, I think it was Sunday night or Monday night, I forget one. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, that scuffle in the game between Rodman and Malone was suggested to them by WCW. Oh, I believe it. That they already had the match scheduled for an upcoming pay-per-view and that the powers that be, probably Bischoff or somebody else in mm-hmm. WC, because there was a there was an interview I saw online someplace from a gentleman who wasn't 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 on screen yet at the time or something, but he was still behind the scenes and he was still doing some stuff. I forget who it was. I'd have to dig it up. But he said that that whole you know they they both uh, the powers that be called Malone and called Rodman and said, hey, you know, don't get into any sort of trouble, but can you two just kind of do something? in one of the games to kind of help us get some promotional stuff for your upcoming match. Well, I think so that scuffle in the game was W on part WCW's. Well, they, they knew, I mean, they knew yeah. what they're going to be doing in the off season. Cause I believe if I'm not mistaken, that pay-per-view was either bash of the beach or the one they do up in, um, when WCW used to do one up in Sturges, I think mm-hmm. it was, it's hog wild. It used to be at right, the big yeah. biker rally up there. Yeah. They would go and they really want to amp up that storyline. And plus, Robin knew the deal. I mean, Robin, yeah. I think more than Malone knew, okay, what we had to really do to sell sell the pay per view. Mm-hmm. Carl Malone, I mean, he was a one and done for that. Yeah. But to see how Jordan balanced it out, especially when you got Robin's head definitely not invested 100% of the time. Very easily distracted. Very easily distracted. You had a lot of different moving parts going on with your team. I mean, from coming working with John Paxson for all the years to now yeah. going to Steve Kerr, from Horace Grant to go to Rodman. Mm-hmm. You had Scottie Pippen, who was your consistent number two. Yeah. But even so, at, at nearing the ends of those runs, you could see that his interest was starting to weigh a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can see how he was handling with rookies at the time or new players such as Scott Burrell, right. who he was just insanely tough on. Right. But he wanted to see something out of him. Just to see how Jordan balanced that out and really made the best of his teammates. And for better or for worse, like you say, you can love him or you can hate him. Mm-hmm. He brought the best out of those guys, and that's how you win. Yeah. I mean, you're not there to make friends. And well, and, and the other thing for me is, uh, you know, it was always fun in my head to kind of play the who's better game. Mm-hmm. You know, insert Jordan and insert other player here. But for me, this kind of finally settled it. You know, Jordan is the best of all time because for as good as Kobe was, he had his ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You know, he had his dominant three-peat, and then he had a lot of down years before he finally won two more. LeBron had his up years. He's had his down years. Jordan, 
his only down years was when he was first getting in the league and getting acclimated yeah. to everything. Once he got acclimated and once he bulked up, he was the best in the in the game. And there was never any down point. He went out, there was no, you know, there was no like Peyton Manning or Brett Favre final year where it's like, eh, you're not really looking too good. Maybe you ought to retire. Mm. Jordan, no, still looked as good as he always did. Well, because Jordan, I think, made himself into a standard that he needed to hit every year. That he really pushed himself mentally and, and physically to be the best he could each season. And like you say, the only time he had a, an off years was during his rookie seasons, mm-hmm. just in the beginning. I mean, but do you see how he would go and prepare and he would take on every challenge, whether it was the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas? Yeah. And obviously that still reigns true to this day. That yeah. <laughs> they're never going to be on the same page. No. To see how he interacted with other players, too, in the league when he was obviously doing Space Jam and doing Holy those pickup Holy Christ, trash-talking Larry Bird after he's retired and managing the, the Pacers. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, he just set that bar of what he, he was expecting out of himself and never gave up and just always kept pushing forward. Even so, it's much when you hear about other players taking him on, such as Gary Payton. Yeah. Jordan laughs about it. Oh, yeah. And it's like, what game were you playing? Right. You never had me. And that is not just him being, you know, braggadocious. That's him being 100% honest. I just want him to be in an uh, uh, yeah, insult competition with Chael Sonnen. Have the two of them going back and forth, just talking trash. See, I but it will all depend because... If that being Chael would have to play basketball or MJ would have to play MMA. Uh, like you, you couldn't. Yeah, they could just trash talk each other. You could have some trash talk with Jordan. I mean, like I say, if Jordan wanted to, Jordan, I, I could guarantee you, would be good at trash talking. Not good at this stage MMA fighting. I don't even, oh, God, I, no. I don't want to plant that bug in anybody's ear because no, just no. But to see just how he really was so much of a figure and impacting and just seeing how the game took a shape around him, too. I mean, you see the one of the most sentimental episodes I, it was the Kobe episode. Yeah. And you see how much that, that was a big brother, little brother moment, which I, I don't think you really felt until that moment. No. And just to see how Jordan influenced Kobe and, and just brought something out of him for his little interactions they had playing time yeah. against each other. I, I think the public and especially ourselves knew there was always that respect there. Mm-hmm. Because you, you even from just the work ethic comparison and just the way they play – not even just like they play basketball, just how they approach the game. There's very similar similarities between the two of them. But it's so uh, to me, it was like, okay, Jordan respects Kobe because he might see a little bit of himself in Kobe and just how he handles things and how he approaches things. But it's so much more than that. Oh, it absolutely is. I and mean, that just goes to show much how a figure he was in this. Like this entire series, you had so many different ranges of emotions going mm-hmm. on with this. There's, I mean, sure, there's a ton of memes that have been running wild on the yeah. internet. In fact, there's a Twitter account at Jordan Jamming. <laughs> and it's the moment when he's on the bus and oh, he's listening okay. to uh, Kenny Lattimore's CD, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, people are now remixing music to it. Oh, Lord. So you have everything from Jordan rocking out to Drake to Run DMC to Fall Out Boy and a bunch oh, of different God. other ones. So I'll give a, I will give a plug to that Twitter, at Jordan Jamming. It's actually quite amusing. But you see those ranges of emotions, and you see Jordan behind the scenes. I mean, he's laughing about competition, and you can see just the interaction he had with Rodman and Pip and the guys he interacted with most, and just to get like the true feelings of them. And then you have the Father's Day moment, yeah. which, I mean, that was the most gut-wrenching hit, hit in the fields right there when he broke down after winning the championship in 96 on Father's Day mm-hmm. after the passing of his father. And yeah. I, I Just so much emotion you see behind the character that for relatively the biggest part of his public life, he's been very private. You, mm-hmm. you never have had this access to see. No. 
And the takeaway, I don't think tarnishes anything of his legacy. No. I think if anything, you have a deeper sense of what it takes to win mm-hmm. and really be a champion. I think people throw that word around very easily, but to have that consistency that you haven't seen, I mean, obviously since the Patriots, right. to be on that just dominant role in a sport. Yeah. The Bulls for the 90s, there was no team better. No. I hate saying it as a Knicks fan, but let's be honest. And then when have you been, come close? I mean, Phil Jackson, sure, he had success when he went to L.A. Mm-hmm. But when you have those parts in place already, Kobe and Shaq, yeah. and, and then obviously you know when Kobe took over the team and had what, Paul Gasol and, yep. and Lamar Odom, and yep. you saw Kobe bring the best out of them. Yeah. I mean, to see how he just elevated his game for that, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy to see how this team set the standard and how it's even influenced today. Because if you want to talk about it, the Bulls have been a super team before it was a super team to be had. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Jordan Pippen and Rodman. That's your original big three, not LeBron, Wade, and, and Chris Bosh. Well, or Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and KG. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at those teams that have come together and, and formed up. The Bulls set that standard. Mm-hmm. Michael has set that standard that other players are trying to emulate now to this day. I mean, you could say what you will about LeBron's game. I don't right. think he's there yet, though. No. I'll, I'll be very honest. I mean, no. He's a great player. Do not get me wrong. But when you talk about in comparison to Jordan, he's not there. And I'll, t- I'll take the bold statement on that one. But to see what Jordan did during this time period, and especially for now being sports fans, that more eyes I think were going to be on this mm-hmm. now with everything going on with C-19 that was originally going to be planned. Yeah. The Last Dance has carved this etch into sports history for being a 10-part document series that really broke down the essence of Michael Jordan and his legacy, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate competitor. Nobody can come close to that. Nobody. And no. when you see the trials and tribulations that this team had through his tenure with the Bulls, you really get that much more appreciation for him and what they accomplished. Can anybody do that these days? I'm going to be honest. I don't see anybody coming down the wire that's going to be really doing that. You can, no. you could say LeBron for what he's done, and it's a good argument. It's a very good argument. I, I think Golden State, if Curry hadn't gotten hurt, Clay hadn't gotten hurt, Durant hadn't left, and we were still playing the season, you know, had that all not happened, I think then you might have an argument. But we'd have to wait and see you know, how things play out and everything else. But I think that's the only instance you can talk where we would have seen something as dominant. Yeah, that's the only instance. But and again, all of those things happened. But then again, you could also say, well, LeBron did not have Reggie Miller join the Bulls. Yeah. You know, much like Durant joined Golden State. It's just it's a different era of basketball. So you have to look in that perspective. But for what Jordan did in arguably one of the toughest periods of basketball where fouls were really fouls. And now the flopping was not something that you ha- you got called for by a referee. To see what Jordan did during this time period, it just really makes you appreciate his body of work that much more. And for me, his last game was that one in 98. I don't even count the Washington stuff because that wasn't Michael Jordan. No way, no how. But overall, The Last Dance is so much worth a watch if you haven't seen it is arguably the best show out in 2020. I know I was talking with Joey from So Wizard about this. Fully agreed with that. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about The Last Dance? Is it the greatest documentary in all of sports? Does it really solidify Michael Jordan's status with you? What is your general take? We definitely want to have that conversation.
We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Nick. I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. We are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual live stream for The Cure is only a couple weeks away. Every single dollar raised goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, donations will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com to make an early donation and to learn more about the event. Together, we can make a difference. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and there is some UFC to be talked about. Yeah, there is. Now, as we were last recorded, we announced that the UFC was doing three nights in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. getting back on their originally planned schedule, really trying to give something back to the fans. They finally got all their clearance with the state of Florida and the government with everything about C-19 regulations. So this was going to be the two main cards that they were having before they're going to their next fight night. And we have some news about that, but we're going to break down the results, kicking off with the card that happened on Wednesday, May 13th. Pad? Yeah, so jumping right into the main card, first one we got to mention is a heavyweight matchup that took place between Andre Arlovsky, uh, the Ageless Wonder, and Philip Linz, uh, where Arlovsky, shockingly, the man is older than dirt. Nah, just kidding. He's 41 years old. Uh, 41 years old, still getting wins. Defeated Philip Linz uh, via unanimous decision. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Linz won the PFL. Mm-hmm. And Orlowski won unanimous decision. So yeah, uh, yeah, Orlowski won via unanimous decision, and you are correct. Uh, Philip Linz, uh, in the fall of 2018, participated in the Professional Fighters League, uh, and took place in their heavyweight tournament. Uh, won the fight via a technical knockout in the fourth round to win the said tournament, and won the one million dollars cash prize. So Orlowski, at 41 years old, knocked out a dude who won a million dollars in a tournament, who's also 31 years, or excuse me, 34 years old. Good for you, man. But seriously, Orlovsky, I, I don't like seeing him fight anymore. I think he's taken way too many headshots. Like, I, I seriously worry about him when I see him fighting. But let alone, hey, he got he got the decision. I I can't be mad. I'm just, like, now blown has, away. Now has 50 career professional matches. Jesus, man. 29 wins, 19 uh, losses. Crazy. Yeah. Next up. Uh, next up, we're going to jump up uh, and mention uh, about the lightweight matchup between Drew Dober, who absolutely just ran through Alexander Hernandez, knocking him out in the second round. I tell you what, Hernandez has not been right since his match with Cerrone. Cerrone, I don't know what he's done, but, I mean, that's when Cerrone really put a, a whooping on him, mm-hmm. as, as they say. And Hernandez just hasn't looked right since. Yeah. I know he came in with a bunch of hype, and Dober just absolutely just mauled him in this one. This one was very, very one-sided, in my opinion. And Dober absolutely just destroyed him. Mm-hmm. So hats off to him. Yeah. Next up. Uh, next up, it was the co-main event of this card between Ben Rothwell and Ovince St. Peru in the heavyweight division, where Ben Rothwell uh, defeated OSP via split decision. 
Yeah, this was OSP's step up to the heavyweight division and did not go in his favor. Like I said, very back and forth. You could argue both both camps. I I, I wasn't really impressed with both fighters in this mm-hmm. one. It, it was one of those like, okay, wherever the judge goes with, I'll go with. Like I, I didn't really sit there one way or another and say, okay, yeah, this person should have won outright. Rothwell has been a seasoned veteran in the heavyweight game, so I, I'm not too surprised he won. Sure. Because I think when a fighter steps up to a weight class that like OSP did, you you almost have to like put an asterisk by and go, all right, you may have, may have won, may have lost, but first time it's first time. But you really got to make a statement win. I think it to jump up in that weight class. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like with baseball where there are people who over the course of baseball got their first career home run off Roger Clemens, off mm-hmm. of Randy Johnson, insert Nolan Ryan. You know, which hey, congrats to you, feather in your cap. It's a fluke though. No, it's a definite fluke, definite fluke. But hey. Rothwell is on the winning track where mm-hmm. he goes from here. I mean, the heavyweight division is making a lot of noise. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to title shot anytime soon, but we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Uh, after that was the main event between uh, Glover Teixeira and Anthony Smith in the light heavyweight division. And Glover knocked out Anthony Smith in the fifth round. Okay. I stand corrected. Glover Teixeira is now proving me wrong every time I'm going against him. It's nothing against Glover. Glover is a hell of a fighter. But he's he, also 40 years old, so it's understandable why we pick against him. Yeah, we, we pick against him because he's somehow managed to wave off Father Time right now, and he's been yeah. on an impressive win streak lately. And the performance he put on against Anthony Smith, my God, mm-hmm. one-sided. This was just a straight beating. Yeah. I mean, this there's nothing you can really say. Smith just looked outclassed in this one. Mm-hmm. I, I know he, he was coming off a lot of off-cage issues that happened recently. Right. And you can argue that the refs should have stopped it earlier. Yeah. I, I would say I thought they should have, in my opinion. I, I think I, I had one round scored 10-7. Like, it was just Glover. Mm-hmm. Glover just came in there and just really implemented his will. You hear that thrown around a lot? Yeah. But this was prime case of it. So the fact they let Smith hang around to the fifth round, I, I don't agree with, but I'm glad that they finally stopped the thing. Yeah. But, I mean, hats off to Smith, though. I mean, he, sta- yeah. he stayed in. Yeah, no, but, he fought through it. Also going to give a little tip of the cap to uh, Glover Tashira, who that was his uh, fourth win in a row since his loss to Corey Anderson back in July of 2018. Uh, submitted Carl Anderson via an arm triangle choke. Uh, submitted Ion Kutalaba uh, with a rear naked choke. Uh, beat Nikita Krylov via split decision and, of course, knocked out Anthony Smith. So he's making some noise at 40 years old. He's making some noise. I like. I don't know if he can catapult back into title contention. By the way, he turns 41 in October. Yeah, it's not to say it's out of the realm of thought because it really isn't. I think there just has to be a lot of clearance for him to jump up that high. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he can leapfrog some people. But we'll kind of get into the light heavyweight situation in a little bit after we get done breaking down the next card, though. Yeah. Because there was some news that I think maybe plays a little bit of a factor Mm -hmm. moving forward. Uh, So switching over to the fight that uh, took place a couple days later, uh, looking at the main card, the first matchup we're going to talk about is a matchup you might not have been thinking about or think we might might not think we're going to talk about. But, hey, we are. Uh, It was the match that opened the main card between uh, Song Yadong and Marlon Vera in the featherweight division where Song Yadong defeated Marlon Vera via unanimous decision. Yeah, but def- not without controversy. Definitely didn't agree with this. Uh, Yudong, I believe, is under the Alpha Male camp, uh, Uriah Faber's camp, and Faber was actually walking around at weight to mm, jump in. That's Cerrone lifestyle. Yes, if Yudong could not make it because of travel restrictions. You are correct. Uh, Yudong is a part of Team Alpha Male. Right, so 
Obviously, there was a lot of fight questions about this fight was going to happen or not. And in my opinion, and amongst other fighters, if you go onto social media, especially Jorge Masvidal, hmm. uh, they had Vera win in this one outright. Okay. So, and I have to agree with him. I, I thought, if anything, Vera won in a split. That's just my opinion of it. Um, so when they said Yudong won as he did, I was like, I don't really agree with that one. I, I got to say. Uh, it was it was a good win for him. I mean, yeah, you gotta take the wins when you get them. But yeah. but if you're asking me, I would I would have Vera by split. That that's just how I score it. So we'll have to see what the UFC decides to do with them. And yeah. I mean, the featherweight division is starting to get a little thick again. So yeah, a little bit. Have to see what happens after that. Uh, next matchup after that was in the middleweight division between Christoph Jutko, uh, who defeated Eric Anders via unanimous decision. Yeah, not really surprised at this one. I mean, no, Jutko, he'll stand in there. He'll hang with you, Anders. You know, it can go either way with him. Uh, he he's shown some flashes of brilliance at times. Other times, you know, he he gets caught off early, and it's a little tougher for him to recover. And this was kind of one of those situations, in my opinion. So with Jucko pulling this off, I'm not not super surprised at. Um, no, but kind of have to wait and see what happens after this. Yeah, no, making some noise. Uh, that was his third win in a row since his last loss to Brad Tavares, who knocked him out back in April of 2018. So we'll see where he goes from there. Uh, after that was the featherweight matchup between Dan Ige, who defeated Edson Barbosa via split decision. You know, this was actually frightening for me because Barbosa dropped to 145. He usually yeah. fights at 155, and he looked absolutely shredded. Ooh. And I was just waiting for him to leg kick Iggy to death. <laughs> I literally was, and I was. He kinda, does like doing that. I. That's all I was sitting there waiting for. So, Iggy getting the decision here, I was really surprised at. I. I. I don't know if it's the weight cut, if that maybe threw Barbosa off. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard to say because I mean, when you see a fighter like we were talking about on the last card, when a fighter steps up in weight or drops down in weight, that first fight, you, it's almost like a. You know, you have to put an asterisk by it. You have mm-hmm. to kind of see how they're looking at that weight class. Yeah. It's not like Barbosa was having any issues hitting 155, mm-hmm. but to see him drop 10 more pounds, and he, he is a very big 155 in my opinion. Yeah, it, it was just kind of one of those like I I don't I don't know how this is going to play out. I think though the loss here is not going to be a bad loss per se for him. But he's really got to make some noise in the featherweight division. Yeah, he's definitely got to be careful because uh, his last win was against Dan Hooker, who he knocked out in uh, December of 2018. Uh, and then he's lost his next three fights in a row. He lost to Justin Gaethje, who knocked him out in March of 2019. He lost to Paul Felder by split decision in September of 2019. And, of course, he just lost to uh, IE by split decision uh, this past week. Yeah, so he's definitely, I'm not going to say he's on the chopping block, but he's definitely got to make a good performance next go around. I mean, to be fair, though, I'm looking at his other losses. His other losses are against Jamie Varner back in May of 2012. Some dude named Donald Cerrone, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Johnson, yep. some dude named Tony Ferguson, and then some dude named Kevin Lee, and some dude named Habib Nurmagomedov. Not hey. sure I've ever heard of him. Uh, yeah, that's why I say Barbosa has gone through a lineage of the, <laughs> that 155 class. A, the, the, there aren't few bad losses in there. They're all losses. It's like, okay, you, you, you went up against a better fighter. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about it. I mean, he's put on that one kick against Terry Edlam. Mm-hmm. I mean, is a highlight thing that you'll see from the end of days. Yeah. So he's definitely has a place in the UFC history books. Mm-hmm. 
But where he's going to go at this stage, I, I, I don't know. I think he should go down to featherweight and stay down there and make yeah. a run there. He's not going to do one at 155 at this stage. Yeah, just, I, I on the flip side, also making noise, uh, only has two career losses in, in his professional record. Last loss was to Julio Arce, Arce however you say that, uh, by unanimous decision back in January of 2018. He's won, what is this, one, two, three, four, five, six fights in a row. So you gotta say you gotta give him really some top echelon say, competition. Move, move him up the move him up the uh, rankings there. Yeah, I definitely gotta say. I mean, it could be. I don't really have like an opponent lay, laid out. I mean, featherweight, like I said, has gotten real thick all of a sudden uh-huh. with fighters. So I don't, I don't necessarily have an idea where he's gonna go, but I think he's gonna get some real top competition, which he deserves at this stage. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Six fight win streak. <laughs> Read about it. Uh-huh. Next up. Uh, after that is the co-main event for in the women's strawweight division where Claudia Gadella defeated Angela Hill by split decision. I actually had Hill winning this one. Really? On my scorecard. I thought she did. I But you could argue back and forth about this one. Obviously, the judges did for split. I, I thought that she did enough. Hill did enough in the second round to really kind of push the pace in her favor. And... Like I say, Gadea definitely showed up, implemented her will at times to it was a very good back and forth. Mm-hmm. I just thought Hill did just enough to win that decision. I mean, it, it wasn't like a oh yeah, clear cut decision, but I thought that Hill asserted enough uh control in, mm-hmm. in the second and third yeah. that it definitely was looking better in her favor. So this one I, I wanna say was surprising, but you know, like I say, anytime you have a split decision, it could go either way. Gadea we knew was gonna scrap. I think I had you know, her peg to win this one outright. But Hill, you know, when she shows up for fights and she's been looking really good in her last few fights, mm-hmm. you know, it's something when a fighter clicks on and that's when it takes off for him, it works perfectly. Yeah. This situation, you can't really be too mad about a split decision. It's just as long as you perform well in the cage, they'll still keep you in the UFC's eyes when they're booking. Mm-hmm. So I think Gadea has got, you know, a big fight coming down her way, and I would not doubt Hill getting a bounce back very, very soon as well. After that is the main event of this card uh, in the heavyweight division between Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris, where Alistair Overeem defeated Walt Harris uh, by knockout in the second round. Thoughts on this, Pat? Uh, Walt Harris almost had him. Yeah. Uh, Walt Harris, I don't know what happened because in that first round, he had a flurry of shots on on Overeem that really had Overeem staggered and and down on the ground. I don't know whether it was just he pulled back and and was afraid that Overeem was going to hit him with an uppercut and knock him into the next century. Or he was he just gassed out or what it was, but it had Walt Harris took his foot off the gas and if he didn't, I think he would have beat over him. I think it was with all the emotion that Harris was coming into the cage with, and there was a lot, and we talked about that last last show that he wanted to come in and put on a tremendous performance, and he did get get over him. Yeah, he, he got him out right. Oh yeah. And I think where you'll see certain fighters, like such as when Justin Gaethje was picking apart Ferguson in his last fight, mm-hmm. usually if when fighters sense they can finish somebody, they just really start swinging wild and they don't go for that proper finish mm-hmm. because you get so caught up in emotion. Sure, like, like I said, I'm not I'm not mad at him about this, but it's just something that he got in there and he almost looked like he punched himself out mm-hmm. because he was trying so hard to get that knockout, which. To Overeem's credit, and let's let's be real, you you don't have a record of forty six and eighteen if you haven't been in a few scraps here. Yeah, he weathered the storm, and I was very surprised that he did because I thought that Harris was going to finish him. But once Overeem weathered that initial onslaught, he took over, and then once he started implementing his ground game, which 
Overeem does not do that often. Mm-hmm. You really saw a change of pace in the fight. We all know Overeem can is a kickboxing champion. Yep, can can do a lot stand in with his striking. That's what he's known for. But he can also grapple too. And when he was going with his grappling, he did and implemented that he really tired Harris out. And then once they got back to the feet, it was a wrap after that. Mm-hmm. that he just picked them apart with strikes and. It's, take nothing away from Walt Harris. He did win in my eyes for just yeah. coming back in the cage with everything yeah. that was going on in the tragedies outside the cage. To see him back in the cage and really put on a good performance and it just it didn't go in his favor uh, it was a true win for him. And then for Overeem, the ageless wonder <laughs> turning 40 this week. Yep. Where does he go from here? If if the fight and, and it's funny, if the fight would have lasted until I want to say the fifth round or fourth round or something like that, um, he would have been fighting at forty because his birthday was on Sunday uh, this week. The fight was taking place on Saturday last week. So if, if and the fight was going on last, if I forget, I think it was like if it went through the fourth round, because at that point it would have been 20 minutes or so, it would have been midnight Eastern East coast time. So we would have been officially 40. That was funny. Uh, where he goes from here. I, I don't know. I mean, I think he, you might have him fight somebody else in the, uh, in the echelons of the heavyweight division. I don't think he's quite ready for a title shot yet just cause he got rocked by, uh, uh, Nganu. Yeah. Well, right now this is where we get into the kind of the crazy portion of what happens now. Because there is a lot that you have to really examine looking at the rankings of the UFC. Steve Amiosic, we've already talked about, is slated to eventually rematch with Daniel Cormier. Whatever is going on with him, we still haven't gotten any new updates. So right now, that fight is well up in the air. Taking a look, Francis Ngannou is your number 1A, or 1B rather, number 2 contender. However you want to find that. Mm Mm-hmm. And Nganu, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, which if you do, thank you, took some advice that we had. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, after last show, there was some talk with him and John Jones now fighting at heavyweight that has started to take some social media steam. Mm-hmm. Dana White has not addressed it as a possibility. He's too busy building an item, an island. Yeah, whatever he's doing for Fight Island. I don't I don't know. I want to see this thing, but I have a sense it's going to be like Mortal Kombat. I, I'm fully sold on that idea. You can't tell me otherwise. But, Pat, let me ask you this. So, with those three fighters tied up, you would say Nganu mm-hmm. against John Jones, what is your feelings on that? Since now, I guess, we've spoken into existence. It, it could happen. Uh, John doesn't want any smoke with Nganu. I said it last week. I'll say it again. John don't want the smoke. John has been talking a great deal. In fact, he was showing um, for one of his fights, he came in weighing 240. Mm. So he said, I have no problem fighting at heavyweight, and it'd be going for the bag, which I think makes sense for him at this stage. I mean, obviously, he's got Blahovitz coming to fight him eventually. They have not announced anything involving that. Dominic Reyes and Tiago Santos are still in the wind. We don't know anything happening there. And then the rest of that division is more or less wide open, uh-huh. except you have Glover Teixeira who's making a rise. And then after that, I don't, I like, I don't know. I'm, lo- I'm looking at the rankings right now. You got Vulcan, you got Corey Anderson, Gustafson still up there, but I mean, that's, I don't think that fight's going to be happening anytime soon. So looking at that, I think it makes a lot of sense for Ngannou and Jones to fight. It's, it'll be a big money fight, so I think everybody wins there. If Ngannou wins. 
well, he's locked himself. If there was any other question of who's going to be the number one contender in the heavyweight division, it would be him. Yeah. If John wins and then decides he wants to go back to 205, uh, he can definitely do that. He has a big money fight happening there. And then, obviously, Blahovitz is sitting there waiting. So he's got to do that fight unless he vacates and then just he's up to heavyweight, which he can definitely do. I mean, there's no question about that. But for Overeem, I don't know where he goes from here. I really don't. Him and Walt Harris were 8-9 and nine respectively on the rankings. Mm-hmm. So looking at who's ahead of him, you got Volkov, right. who you can definitely pencil in somewhere. Rosenstruik just got knocked out. Right. So that's not – I mean, that could be a bounce-back fight for, you know, Overeem if he wants to or Harris, depending on how they want to do it. Derek Lewis is in the wind. So is Junior Dos Santos. But I don't know, you know, obviously what's going to happen there. Right. But for Overeem, he could definitely try making a late run a la Glover Teixeira. I just don't necessarily know how that's going to play out. I don't, I don't think it'll – I think he can definitely make a run. I just don't think it'll play out well for him because I think he'll just run into another Ngannou-type mess situation where he gets uppercut into, you know, his next life. Mm-hmm. You know, where, yeah, you can fight and, yeah, you can beat these guys, but, and, you know, once you hit playoff mode or once you hit the upper echelon, the, you know, the top five, top three, whatever you have it, that's where you're just in another class. And mm-hmm. I just don't think uh, Overeem's got quite the step he used to to go up against some of these guys. No, I agree with you. I think the only fight that I'm, if I really got to narrow it down, I think him and Rosenstruck would actually be a good fight. Yeah. That's six and eight. And if Overeem wins, then you got to throw him in the top five somewhere. I mean, not saying you have to place him, but you got to give him a top five opponent. I mean, whether it's a Curtis Blades, whether it's a Dos Anjos, I mean, depending on how you want to play it out. I just am looking at this going, okay, if Nganu takes off to fight John, that's going to be a whole different ball of wax. And the fight, I think, makes a lot of sense. And I want to see the UFC make this, especially if you're going to be doing fights over in Fight Island. This is a perfect fight to do there. It will draw, and it'll be a big fight for Nganu, win, lose, or draw, and for John as well. Because if John wins, well, he's just taken out the number two in the heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. He's ran through the number one at the 205 division. Right. And that's Mr. Daniel Cormier. Right. So if he can beat him there, you'd almost say, well, he gets an automatic title shot. Either way, I mean, it's a big fight for both of them. So I think that that's the way it should play out. I ultimately think Nganu will catch John and knock him out. Oh, yeah. Because John doesn't have, like we said last week, John wouldn't have the usual, you know, statistical height reach advantage like he does with some of his other fighters. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not identical in reach and height, but damn it, they're close. It's like within an inch or two of each other. So there's no arm reach advantage like John normally has. There's no height advantage like he usually has. Like he ain't got no advantage. And I'm sorry, as good a grappler and as good a wrestler as John is. You don't want to be in close if Overeem is swinging upward. Yeah, if Ngannou is. You or, yeah, yeah, uh, Ngannou, sorry. No, no, no. Well, that's the thing. Can John withstand that shot? No. <sighs> no. He's, he's. to my recollection, I don't think he's ever taken a shot like Ngannou would give him if it hits flush. Yeah, that's the thing. If Ngannou can connect on him, he's in trouble. He's Anybody's in trouble if he gets those hands on him. So for that, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. I'm not doubting, though that fight does get spoken into existence, like officially. I think for both of those fighters, it makes a ton of sense. And obviously, it'll clear up some room in your heavyweight division because right now it's all been logjammed because of Miosic. So if anything can kind of loosen some of that up, it's a win-win for the UFC. 
Speaking of cleaning up some log jamming going on, we do have a fight announcement that has now been finally made official for May 30th, Pat. Oh, I did. And that is one Tyrone Woodley fighting Gilbert Burns. Ooh. So this okay. this one is definitely going to clear up some room in the welterweight division. It's been long talked about. Burns is coming off a very impressive performance and instantly got himself into you know, top five recognition because he basically said he was willing to step in with anybody in that class. Huh. Tyrone Woodley has been waiting to see what's been going on because obviously he was scheduled to fight Leon Edwards. Right. Travel restrictions because the C-19 has really thrown that into a curveball. Right, ball. right. So this fight makes a ton of sense. I'm excited to see it. Uh, how this is going to play out, I'm not doubting Burns with the upset. I'll make an early prediction, but okay. when we review the fight in the upcoming episodes, I will definitely deep dive into it a little bit more. But how are you feeling about this fight being made? Uh, excited, you know. I'm always ha- I'm always excited to see Tyron Woodley fight. It's always usually pretty exciting with him, and it's you know some fresh meat, you know. So it's it's not a name he's fought before, so it's kind of you're going in with kind of that you know excited, you know ex- excitedness with oh what's going to happen? You like there's no all right. Well, we saw these two guys fight before, so we know they're going to eventually take each other to the ground, and he's going to dominate for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this one should definitely be making some rounds and really you know, draw some hype around it too, because I think this could definitely make some moves in the welterweight division. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. And I think that that's what they could really use right now because you figure Usman and Masvidal are tied up. That's That fight's going to happen. Right. Colby Covington, WWE bound. So you can already say he's gone. Leon Edwards for and Stephen Thomas, Thompson there, uh, I mean, who knows what's going to happen there. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be scheduled to fight, just kind of remake up. Because, I mean, with Edwards, you know, originally scheduled to fight Woodley, he's wide open to, for anybody to jump in against. Uh-huh. I wouldn't doubt Masvidal taking that fight if somehow they can't make him and Usman happen. But I've I got a feeling that's going down. Definitely is going to happen. Because, like I say, with Burns now, he's got a chance to really make some noise and jump up in that competition. And, like I said, after his last fight against Damian Maya, we knocked him out in the first round. Yeah. He's definitely up there and ready to go. So, I mean, it can definitely just play into his favor. The only thing that we can say for sure, though, is this card is definitely not set in stone of where they're going to be holding it. Right. We do know that this is originally scheduled to be taking place in Vegas. Okay. But Vegas has not cleared up anything to a recording time of saying that they're going to be allowing sporting events to happen. Mm -hmm. So Dana White has said that he will take the fight to Arizona, which is now allowing some sporting events to take place. If this does not happen. Okay. So we're kind of waiting to see. So they're going to be done with Florida for a little bit. Right. I would not say it's going to be for too far long. No, and especially with the other day, I know the governor of California said, I want to say June 1st, it was mm-hmm. one that you could start seeing sporting events back in the state of California without fans. And I want to say the governor of New York said almost the same thing, like November, or not, excuse me, not November, uh, June 1st would be when you might start seeing sporting events in the New York State without fans. So that opens it up for them, too. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of a lot of situations starting to slowly open up, so you have to keep your eyes out on that. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about the fights this past weekend? Are you excited about the idea of John Jones versus Francis Ngannou? And what do you think about Tyrone Woodley versus Gilbert Burns? Where is it going to be held? Is it going to be Vegas? Is it going to be Arizona? Is it going to be Fighter Island? <laughs> Who knows? Well, let's have that conversation, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Wonder Soul. Wonder Soul. Wonder Soul. Wonder Soul. Hey, I'm Lucas, the host of Wonder Soul, a weekly podcast series featuring a variety of topics dealing with life's many passions and experiences. Join me and friends each week as I discuss topics ranging from pop culture to real life conversations that all can find relatable. 
New episodes bring new guests and new topics and release every Friday. More content can be found on Wondersoul's YouTube and Twitch channels. Stay up to date and connect with Wondersoul through social media by following us on Twitter and Instagram. And we hope that you enjoy Wondersoul wherever you listen to podcasts. So do good and take care. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man, CTOI, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's talk some wrestling. Wrestling. Yes, but not any WWE news, really. It's kind of been a, I want to say a little quiet time all right qu- now. All quiet on the Eastern Front. Yeah, because they're setting up their backlash card, mm-hmm. and they really are trying to sell the Randy Orton Edge wrestling match. Yeah. Which I... Yeah. I like it's gonna be a good match. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that they keep emphasizing that it's wrestling and yeah, really are saying how it's gonna be the greatest match of all time. Like I, something weird is gonna happen in it. I don't know what. I can't put my finger on it. So WWE is just being staying consistent, but actually we're gonna give us a little time to all elite wrestling mm-hmm. because this Saturday night, as we are recording, is their double or nothing pay per view. Mm-hmm. Now there is a lot going on with this. Uh, we don't really talk too much about AEW on here. You'll hear a lot more talk about that on the wrestling show on the Three Fat Nerds Podcast Network, where Rich is and I do a show where we talk everything wrestling on there. So if you really want the deep dives, go check that out. But for AEW. They are going to be doing their first pay-per-view since C-19 broke out. Mm-hmm. And this is, I, I want to say, it's weird to say what is their second biggest pay-per-view of the year. So I think sure. it is this because they have All Out, which was the one that started it all and got the brainchild of AEW going. And that is where the Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega all got together, the elite of the Bullet Club as they were running for many years, and started planting the seeds about running their own promotion. So when their contracts all ran up with New Japan Pro Wrestling, they all decided to form their promotion. It has been very hit and miss with a lot of fans. It was supposed to be the fresh alternative to the WWE. It has now been, a, will say, a divided camp. Mm-hmm. There is some in there that want to really see it be a very different product than WWE, and there are some that really you can see each and every week when you watch. They're just doing nothing but being WCW 2.0. Brody Lee. Yeah, you can see it right. It's blatant. But I'm not trying to be Vince. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay, and I'm the king of England. Exactly. There is just certain angles and certain characters on there that are screaming, this is my FU shot to Vince McMahon in the WWE. You can't. You cannot sugarcoat it No. any which way. So that being said, it's been an interesting ride with AEW. So now we are having their second Double or Nothing pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be breaking it down because it's going down this Saturday night. And it will be found on Bleacher Report, I believe. Yep. So be our live. So get your streaming ready. So, Pad, let us break down the card as it stands. Yeah, so as it stands, uh, in, in taking place in the buy-in pre-show, you have a tag team matchup between Private Party and Best Friends. Okay, so Private Party is one of their young and up-and-coming tag teams. They're very fun to watch. 
taking on best friends who have been on a roll lately, mm-hmm. who come to the ring with the one and only Orange Cassidy. Go. Yes, one of the, the greatest of all times. So this is going to be a fun show or fun match on the show. It's, it's a good match to get the crowd going. Yeah, except this is also going to be for the number one contendership for their tag team titles. Oh, okay. Which, if you follow AEW, it's very, very confusing because they are supposed to have official rankings. Are we talking like UFC confusing where they have rankings, but they don't ever follow them? Exactly. That's what it is. Oh. To the letter. So how they're kind of leapfrogging people around, because technically, if you read it on paper, the Dark Order mm. is supposed to be number one contenders because they never lost. Right. But they kind of said, well, they haven't wrestled in a while, so they're going to lose that contendership. And this is what they're replacing with. It, it's like it's messy just how they try to explain it. I'm not I'm not opposed to having like win loss records. Those are always kind of cool to see. And you see it a lot these days with sports. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to put in a ranking system, follow the goddamn thing. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just it's frustrating to watch when they try doing this. Nevertheless, this is going to be a fun match. Uh, I'm going to say Best Friends is going to win this one and expects this one to just really get everybody at home really excited about yeah. the card. Uh, after that, you've got a, a matchup in the women's division between Britt Baker and Chris Statlander. So, Pad, you have not been watching AEW lately. So you know not up in a while, no. Okay, Britt Baker is now their number one heel. Okay. She has gone on to this, um, dare I say, mix in the bravado of Becky Lynch with Bailey's character. Hmm, okay. So I'm a role model. I'm better than you. Right. That is her gimmick right now, and it's gotten her very much over with wrestling fans. It's I, uh, I will say I did see it came across my home feed on YouTube. The I don't know when it was. It was recently though. The behind the scenes thing at her dental office. Yeah. Where it was interviewing the person who worked there, and and Britt was always in the background, like trying to c- convey what the person should say on screen. And I thought it was very funny. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's been her character as of late. So. They've given her that, and she's ran with it as far as she can. I mean, there has been a little parodies, though, with Becky Lynch. Like sure. she, had, she had one where she got her nose busted open right. and, and such. So Chris Satlander is also a big name on their roster, too. They really were excited when she got signed. Uh, this one, I fully see Baker getting the win. Yeah, um, They're really pushing for her to get the, you know, eventually towards the world title. I'm not sure when that match is going to happen, but I fully see Baker winning this one. More than likely. Uh, after that, for the AEW Women's Championship match, you have Nyla Rose defending her championship against Hikaru Shida in a no-disqualification match. That being said, there's a no-disqualification match. I think we're going to have a new champion. Probably. I, I, have a, I have an odd feeling. One thing that I think AEW really struggles with is their women's division. It's definitely not as strong as the WWE's, Mm -hmm. and you can break down any brand you want, Raw, SmackDown, or NXT. It's not even as strong as Impact's. Impact's has a very underrated women's division. AEW's is just really all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I know that Sheeta has been on a roll lately, and they've been really pushing for her and Nyla to – you know, have this ultimate breakdown where, you know, they've been having weapons involved in their matches. And, yeah. You know, this one should be an entertaining match. Oh, yeah. I think the fact that it's no disqualification, though, I got a feeling we might have a new champion. I wouldn't doubt they keep it on Nyla, though. I'd be okay with it completely. Yeah. No, there's there, no disqualification. There's going to be some shenanigans involved. Yeah, there'll be something weird happening here. So, a couple, like a half a dozen people make a run in trying to do something and it won't work out. You, you've seen it before. Yeah, so I'll say, just taking a shot with it, I'll say we'll have an end new and Sheeta comes out with the belt. Okay. Uh, after that, it is MJF taking on Jungle Boy. <sighs> okay. I hate to say this with MJF because he's funny and I like him. Is this a piss break? You would think. This is, okay, 
we've talked about this at, at great lengths, uh, Rich and I have on 3FN. W. You have MJF, who is your most overheel in your company. Yep. Okay. Who doesn't really need a lot to get put in that world title contention. He's no. been undefeated since, you know, or I mean, um, yeah, because I can't even remember if he has or he's just his only loss has been to Cody. Honestly, it's been that long since he's wrestled on TV. Mm-hmm. He has been automatic gold on the mic, though, at their empty arenas because what they've been doing is AEW's been having their wrestlers in the crowd. Right. And MJF has been the ultimate heel in the crowd. Hey, listen, so one of us on the panel has been insulted by MJF. This is true. Uh-huh. You are very close friends with him. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. So this one, MJF is his quote unquote coming back from injuries, the the most devastating hangnail. Oh, that okay. I yeah. did I did see that promo too, where he was like, "I'm out with it." Wasn't his arm in like a sling or something like that? Yeah. I think I saw it in like a video promo of him at home where he's talking about the injury he's got in his arms in a sling or something, and it's a hangnail. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. That's just it's it's going to show how he is. Yeah, and like I say, he should be in title contention. Jungle Boy will put on a good match with him. Yeah, but this is MJF to win. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is this is probably this is a piss break in my opinion. But you, you stay for the intro, and when MJF comes out, you stay for the trash talking right up until Jungle Boy comes out. Because I imagine Jungle Boy is coming out second. Go to the bathroom and then come back out. You know, before it's over, when it's over, uh, to hear the trash talking at the end. Yeah, I mean that's that's the, what you stay for. You stay pretty for much. MJF on the mic. Pretty much. Uh, after that, you have the casino ladder match between Darby Allen. Colt Cabana, Orange Cassidy, Ray Phoenix, Scorpio Sky, Kip Sabian, Frankie Kazarian, Luchasaurus, and a mystery competitor. Okay. Which I should note if I saw online, uh, this match may be over before we even get to the mystery competitor. Did I read that right? Yeah. Okay. So to break down what this match is, this is half money in the bank, half Royal Rumble. Okay. So... What they do is they're going to have something hanging from the top of a ladder. I don't know if it's going to be a, a gambling chip or something because it's the whole card is, is centered around gambling. Right. So they're going to have something there. And the match, according to what we're reading off CBSSports.com, and they did mention this on AEW Wrestling, the match begins with two men in the ring with a new competitor entering every 90 seconds. Ish. Yes. Because we know how that works with the Royal Rumble. Exactly, because timing's all off in wrestling. Uh-huh. So... It's basically whoever gets it first, the match is over. So it could quite possibly be done with only two participants in the ring. We have eight that are scheduled. There is a mystery one that will be revealed the night of the show. Mm-hmm. Pad, any feelings? Let me ask you this first. Sure. Is this a blatant ripoff of Money in the Bank? Yes. Okay. Thanks. Absolutely. Just because, again, reading from the CBSSports.com uh, article, uh, it says, quote, the winner of this match will earn a shot at the AEW world title. Doesn't say when, doesn't say where, but sounds a lot. If it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. It's a duck. Yeah. Uh, no, this is a, this is blatantly a ripoff of Money in the Bank. Yeah, exactly. It's a ripoff of Money in the Bank, and especially the 90 seconds thing. Like, uh-huh. That's Royal Rumble. Like, yeah. So, uh, but at the same time, though, it's Royal Rumble, but I also feel like just time-wise, it's kind of the perfect time to wait between competitors because any longer and you're like, Holy shit, when are we going to get there? And any shorter, you're like, oh, it's going a little too fast. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting how this all plays out. Um, it could get really crowded in that ring in a yeah, hurry. Yeah, a little bit. So that being said, looking at everybody who is in this, and once again, you have Darby Allen, who's their underdog, mm-hmm. uh, cult, you know, rising superstar. 
Cole Cabana, obviously everybody knows Colt if you're into independent wrestling. Yep. Orange Cassidy, the GOAT. Ray Phoenix, always going to do some crazy – he's going to do some crazy spot. In yeah. That, that I'll say already. Yeah, see. he's going to be hanging from, like, the, the chain or rope or whatever the heck is, is suspended holding this item above the ring. He's probably going to hold it, swing it back and forth, and do, like, a swanton or something off the goddamn thing. Yeah, he'll do something crazy. Scorpio Sky always does great work. Kip Sabin. Um you know, I, I don't really see him winning, but no. it's good to see him get some screen time. Yeah. So maybe we'll see something on him. Uh, Frankie Kazarian uh, just had a match with John Moxley uh, this past week on Dynamite. Could always be up for something. Luchasaurus. He's just going to be there to throw people. Yeah, he's going to be doing the, the he, Kane he, spots. I would say the he's the Kane, the Braun Strowman, you know, even maybe a little Roman. Yeah. So, and the mystery competitors. So now, Pad, let me ask you this. You mm-hmm. know there's been a ton of releases from the WWE. Yep. Do you guess of any competitors who this is mystery competitor is going to be? Tyson. Mike. I'm going. I'm going out on a real limb here, Mike Tyson. Now I know isn't he supposed to show up on this card to present some new belt or some bullshit? Yes. Now my now this is kind of a twofold thing. I think it's Tyson because you've seen the videos of him working out. Yeah. He is in the best shape he has been in in years. Yes. And I know people are floating out the idea of him doing a boxing match one more time, but I don't know. Holyfield wants it. I can see that, but <laughs> I don't want it. We know he's showing up to this pay-per-view to unveil some new belt and, and some new title. Now he's in the best shape he's ever been. I think where he, why would you be getting in the best shape you, of your life? If you're just showing up to a wrestling event, you could very easily show up and given your history and your pedigree, no one would ever say you're a fat slob to his face because well, he'd knock him out. I think it's a real, I think it's real dark horse. I, I don't think he'll win. But I think it'll, he'll be in there just kind of like the, the shock factor and the try. And for like the next day, like, oh, hey, Mike Tyson showed up. You know, you never know what will happen. I'm going out on a limb and saying it's Zack Ryder. Oh, okay. I don't believe any of the dirt sheets to say he's not coming. I think it's signed, sealed, delivered. I think that he does not have the uh, weight clause from his release. I was, just wondering, I was just wondering that. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's free to go uh, right now. Okay. Um, if he's not, I'm not doubting maybe Drew Gulak. Well, yeah. Because Drew, I know, it does have the free release. He can go wherever he wants yeah, right his, now. Yeah, his, his deal expired. He was not uh, let go. Yeah. Ryder, I'm just not 100% sure of. But I will say I fully think he's going to wind up in an AEW ring before year's end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just hoping it's not going to be Marco Stunt. Yeah. Because I know they've been really throwing him a lot lately in the stuff. Yeah. Um, I'd... I really don't know who this is going to be. I would say, though, if I have to guess of who's going to win this one, I'm not doubting Darby Allen. No, I'm going to say Orange Cassidy just because GOAT. Yeah. I'd love to see Orange Cassidy do. He's the most over wrestler on their roster, and uh-huh. yet they don't let him wrestle. Yep. Which, yet again, another issue with AEW I got. But I also think, like I say, it could be Darby. They're really big on him. He does have the internet buzz around him. Yeah. Uh, I just wish he would take safer bumps. Because yeah. he does take a lot of unsafe stuff in the ring, and especially yeah. him in a ladder match, I'm really actually kind of worried for him. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see on Saturday. But I'm saying don't doubt Zack Ryder. Just don't doubt it happening. Next up. Uh, you've got Matt Hardy and the Elite taking on the Inner Circle in a stadium stampede match. Now, of course, uh, this was supposed to be a uh, battle in a blood and guts match on an episode of Dynamite in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, but, however, because of the coronavirus pandemic, that kind of got put on hold. So this is kind of their answer to it. Uh, my guess is this is probably going to be like a false count anywhere match. Uh, it's the course of the, the it's inside the confines of TIAA field bank field, which is the field where the Jacksonville Jaguars play, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. 
there's they're going to be running around that entire damn thing, and it's going to be kind of funny. Uh, yeah, this is going to be it, it's going to be entertaining. I, like I say, if you caught the past couple weeks, they've been having Matt Hardy team up with Kenny Omega mm-hmm. to fight different members of the elite or uh, the inner circle rather. Yeah, and there's the infamous thing where Kenny and Matt are driving a golf cart and they hit Sammy Guevara. Saw that. You're going to have a lot more of that in this yeah. match. I'll, I will be honest. I'm not excited for this one. I, I would have been more excited had it been the actual War Games wannabe match. Mm-hmm. But for this one, I fully see the inner circle winning. You're going to have Adam Page do his big heel turn, which they've been waiting and pushing forever. Um, I, like I say, especially that you're going to be in a stand, stadium to run crazy around. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lord. that they've got free license because, hey, the owners of your promotion own the field. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna go nuts. Yeah, they're gonna do something wild in it. I mean, it'll it'll be an entertaining match. Hardy will hit his finisher in the pool section that's in that stadium in the upper echelons of the stadium. He'll do something up there. It'll it'll be wild. Yeah, there'll be like some wild moments. Like I say, I'm just kind of going in with this, going, eh, all right, like yeah, let's let's get it over with already. So next up is our new AEW TNT Championship Title match. Yeah, uh, that is taking place between Cody Rhodes and Lance Archer. And this is the one that Iron Mike Tyson is handing the belt off to the winner. Yes. So, Pat, let me break this down to you. AEW is introducing their mid-card title here. Okay. Which so, th- the, so their U.S. or uh, intercontinental title. Correct, yes, which, which I think is very good. Yeah. I, I'm all yeah. for this. What I'm not for is if you've been watching Dynamite for the past few weeks, they have been pushing this feud for a good portion of the two-hour shows. Really? For example, so they had their matches to get in last week or, sure. you know, or before where they had Cody and um, kicked off the the match, uh, defeating um, Darby Allin, and okay. then at the end of the night it was Lance Archer versus Dustin Rhodes, and like so they kind of sandwiched it. And then sure. Last week there was just a little more hype behind it, and then they were also doing like a promo uh, recapping it where you had Cody come out, he was doing something to really hype up the match, and then they did a random one with Sean Spears. Right. Saying, like, oh, if that was my brother, I would never allow him to go back in a match like that. That's going to take up, you know, he's going to never be the same from that. <laughs> so unless they're setting up a Sean Spears-Dustin Rhodes thing, hmm. it was like, why are we forcing this? Right. This is just, right. like, awkward. Yeah. And then there was, like, another one later, and then they they flip Brandy Rhodes back to being a face, and mm. they're doing the whole nightmare family thing mm-hmm. where Lance Archer takes out QT Marshall, who's, like, the one of uh, Dustin Rhodes' tag team partner. Sure. And it was, again, another thing to really force Lance Archer down everybody's throat. Sure. So for the amount of time that was spent between all of this was about 45 minutes if i did my math right jesus of the 2 hour shows which i'm like jesus. i'm like this is a lot to really sell a feud in my opinion yeah and it's it, i know when they signed Lance Archer it was a big deal cuz he has Jake Roberts with him and then Jake had the snake out and and you yeah. know I, I know he brought the snake out last week and it was doing that like it's just been really you know inorganic so it feel just from you describing it i definitely could have been Booked and presented a little better. Yeah, in my opinion, I think it should have been. Yeah, like I, under, I understand you really want to sell Lance Archer, and, and you know, great. Yeah, but it just seems like the amount of time you're giving to this, you really overshadowed a lot of what was going on otherwise. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Yeah. So that being said, I, I think you're going to have Lance Archer go over Cody. Yeah, no, I fully see that happening. With as much as they've been forcing him down your throat, as as you make it sound. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you wouldn't put in all that work just to have Cody win. Yeah, you wouldn't think. No. Yeah, I mean, you you generally wouldn't think, but then again, he might do it because he has that still weird stipulation. He can't fight for the world title because MJF costed him. And, right. Unless they're planning on redoing something with that feud, which would not be a bad idea. But, you know, like I say, wait and see what happens there. I, like, I don't know. Like, I really want to see something good happen with this. I just, like, I don't know. There's just been so much forced hype behind this. Mm-hmm. I, like I say, it was organic and made sense. I'd be like, okay, but like the Sean Spears promo, I thought was just weird. Right. And it was just like awkward. And like I said, Jake, you know, obviously, um, when he left uh, Brandy, Brandy Rhodes Lane last week and he did the old throw the snake on the opponent trick mm-hmm. again. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, we're really trying to really sell this home. And I don't know if it's buying. Like, I, I don't know. So, yeah. So for this one, like I said, should be I'm going to say Lance Archer in the upset. Now we get to the quote unquote main event. Yep, uh, that is for the AEW World Championship with John Moxley defending his belt against uh, Luke. Uh, excuse me, uh, Brody Lee. No, you're right, Luke Harper. <laughs> yeah. No, and so this one, so Pad, why don't you break down since Luke Harper has come over? Uh huh. How what is his gimmick been? Uh, part. Well, part of it reminds me of, and again, didn't watch this live, but I've seen some videos, um, Ministry of Darkness Taker. Yeah. Part of it, parts of it remind me of that. There's other parts of it that remind me of a SNL skit if they were doing Vince McMahon. Exactly. This has been a blatant shot that they turned his character from being, you know, the exalted one, the head of the, you know, their version of the Ministry of Darkness into a blatant parody of Vince McMahon. Right, and, and I'm not even watching AEW, that just doesn't sound right to me because if you're the head of the inner circle and, you know, the head of this dark order, or excuse me, the head of this dark order and they're real evil, they're real this, you ought to be doing stuff that, like, is real weird and doesn't make a lot of sense and it's a little twisted. Not well, sitting at a table eating a steak dinner. Right, because they want to take a shot. Because I guess that's something Vince does, and the and the sneezing thing was another thing Vince allegedly does. Like, I don't know. I guess to take that much shots at Vince and your competition, and especially you're trying to sell yourself as the different brand. Mm-hmm. You're spending a lot of time, man, making them take notice of you. And well, I, so like, you've already taken enough shots at Vince, just letting him talk. Yeah, like I I I just feel this is bad for Brody because he's got all the talents in the world. He oh, should God, be get, yeah. he should be getting a singles run. Um. How they set this up, though, he's leapfrogged everybody because he attacked Moxley, and Moxley gave him a world title shot because he's, you know, basically being Dean Ambrose in this organization. Mm -hmm. So now, I don't know, like, how this is going to play out. So let me ask you this. Who you got for the win? Um, I'm going to say it's Moxley just because I foresee Brody Lee and his Dark Order minions, I guess you could say, getting involved in some way. Referee gets distracted. They try and attack Moxley and... Just with shenanigans getting involved, I I, I think Moxley's going to use those it, as much as they might be a hindrance and might try to uh, upset him. I think he's going to be able to use it to his advantage and uh, retain the title. I I tell you what, if Brody Lee doesn't get the belt here, do you think his debut is all for nothing? Mm, maybe. I mean, he came. It's hard, to, it's hard to say just because. Okay, yeah, he's a name. Well, he's a face you recognize, and he's coming in with a lot of hype. But to me, it's not. You know, it's not like when AJ Styles came into the WWE, finally made it to WrestleMania, and jobbed out to Jericho. Mm. You know, it's 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 hard to say just because I I recognize the face, I know who he is, but it's not like a holy shit, he's an AEW. What he's a, he's got to win his first pay per view matchup. Like it's it's not. 
Yeah, like for me, I don't know. I guess I look at it like you brought him in. He's the head of this big faction. You spent a ton of time doing vignettes to really elevate him up the card out of out of nowhere. I think he almost has to win. Mm. I think you – but then again, you go back and forth with this. Like I, For me, it makes more sense to keep the belt on Moxley. Yeah. But then again, it's like, okay, so if he beats Brody Lee clean, well, you just wasted the time bringing in this guy. Mm-hmm. To what? Go for the AEW TNT title? Like, right. I, like I don't know. Like I don't know unless they're planning on doing a long term feud, which I would say would be the smart booking to do. Yeah. But I haven't seen it yet. I also feel like with Mo- Moxley needs to retain just because I feel like as crazy and as wild and as you know unpredictable as he is, he hasn't done enough. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just feel like you haven't done as much as you can with him holding the belt. Yeah, well, that's, that's the argument. Now, and, and granted, I know part of it's C-19 and everything getting shut down and yeah. plans for the next, you know, for the last however many weeks and, and months going forward thrown out the window, but still. Yeah, it's just one of those question marks that they're going to have to figure out an answer to, and I don't think I have one. I mean, if I got to take anybody, I'm going to say Moxley retains because what I would – but then again, I'm, I'm going to use this as a logical term. Mm-hmm. If Brody Lee can just get a title shot by asking, yeah, then why don't you give it to the guy that's only had maybe one loss on his roster on the roster, and that's MJF. Okay, and put Moxley in a feud with MJF, and that take it all out mm-hmm. your next pay per view because you like doing that long term booking. Yeah, and then MJF finally wins the belt. That would make sense to me, right? Because otherwise, you have Brody Lee win the title, which I I wouldn't be mad about. But then again, I I also really got a question. You have three former WWE guys win your new title. Yeah, which is awkward yeah but you know life is life so that being said i mean then what happens with with brody after this you go back down the card and then your faction is all for nothing Mm -hmm. you almost need that title to really be established yeah so i'm gonna go against my smart booking and i'll just say john moxley is gonna win okay that's gonna be my early prediction about that so in final thoughts, AEW Double or Nothing is going to be on this Saturday night, 8 p.m. on BR Live and Fight TV, respectively. So check where you you watch your pay-per-view wrestling and definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts going into AEW Double or Nothing? We're going to have a deeper dive on the 3FN show this coming week, so definitely check out the 3Fed Nerds Podcast Network for that. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. These days, comic book stories are more mainstream than ever. Unfortunately, not everybody has the means to be able to consume all of this greatness well. If you were to join me, Brian Wayne, on the Cheers to Comics podcast, I will help guide you through the rabbit hole that is comic books. Whether you're a brand new reader that just walked out of the latest blockbuster summer Marvel movie event and just have to know the source material or you're an old dog and just want to get a different perspective from another reader this is the podcast for you and when i say comic book podcast this is a comic book podcast no filler material i I save all of the the movie talk and all of the stuff outside of the illustrated written world of comic books for all of the other podcasts out there this is for comic book junkies and aspiring comic book junkies only so tune in with me brian wayne three times a week we'll be going over dozens and dozens of books in an overviewed fashion not necessarily a review manner 
But beyond that, I hype you up every week on the books coming out on the the next week coming, as well as a bonus episode. And that could be anything from me dedicating an entire episode to uh, a single story arc, or potentially even a kick-ass interview with a badass comic book creator. So if any or all of that tickles your little fancies, join me, Brian Wayne, and the rest of Slurred Nation on the Cheers to Comic Podcast as I kick back drinks and drop all types of comic book knowledge. Cheers. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Not really a lot to officially report on locally Yep. for the local minutes. So we're trying to dig into a couple things, but we don't feel like talking about it on air right now. Uh-huh. So just the only thing we can see, keep saying is keep supporting local, whether it's local sports teams, local businesses, we'll say, local I know artists. It, I want to say it's the Rumble Ponies locally are doing a, uh, if you've been online at any point in the last, five years uh there's loot crates mm-hmm. where it's for your specific things you like like star wars marvel disney what have you where you get mystery items you don't know what you're going to get uh the rumble ponies if i'm not mistaken are doing a similar type deal where you get i don't know how many items it is but you pay for this this mystery box and you get so, so many items in the box and at least one of the items is going to be s- signed now it could be signed by some player on the team currently or it could be signed by some guy named Timothy Richard Tebow. So definitely something to check out if you're in the local 607 area and you want to support the ponies. Yeah, absolutely. Head over to BingRP.com for more information on that. Check out ExciteWrestling.com. I mean, Johnny's been posting a couple things lately. Yeah. So yep. I think everybody is chomping at the bit to see about when things are going to be getting reopened. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. So thus, I didn't want to go and speculate about stuff that we don't have official facts on. So. Right. Obviously, support your local teams and just keep on their social media accounts because when they hear something, yep. trust me, they're going to post it everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, Pat, why don't we run these bases and take us home? Yeah, i got to talk a couple things baseball. Obviously, they've got their plan going forward and figuring out what that whole mess is, but that's not what I want to talk about. First, I want to give uh, some thoughts and well wishes to former uh, Major League Baseball manager Art Howe. Uh, Art Howe was managed the uh, Houston Astros from 1989 to 1993, the Oakland Athletics from 1996 to 2002, uh, and the New York Mets from 2003 to 2004. Uh, you might know him from the movie Moneyball, mm-hmm. uh, where he was in the movie starring Brad Pitt, uh, at least his his portrayal was uh he is at home and recovering uh from battling coronavirus at the ripe old young age of 73 years old uh so he said quote uh relief back in my own bedroom it's just sweet it was a long five days or so i'm finally feeling a little bit better still not able to eat real good taste buds are giving me a hard time it's just nice to be back home and hopefully continue to progress close quote uh so definitely well wishes and uh speedy recovery to him a longtime manager and and one of the game's more well-known managers so definitely happy to see him home and recovering yeah great news to hear he's recovering yes uh, also uh some baseball news the ageless wonder re- wants to play at least one more season no i'm not talking about omar Vizquel who played that's what i was gonna say was it julio franco or omar no omar Vizquel who played shortstop till the age of like 45 or something absurd like that no bartolo cologne wants to pitch oh another God. year let him the, let him the man is 46 years old like at this point just from a medical standpoint 
don't think he should be able to pitch at 46 years old as given him as long as he's pitched. But apparently he can and wants to come back for one more year. Incredible. Let Big Sexy run wild. And if he has his choice, uh, he'd like it to be the New York Mets. Oh, of course. He would be welcomed there with open arms. Oh, God, yeah. Well, they, the, I know Mets fans were severely disappointed when he left. Uh, yeah, as they should be, because he is just a, he's a treasure mm-hmm. to the game of baseball. So he wants to come back one more year. Let him come yeah, back. I, I know Sam Gregor or Jr. will be foaming at the mouth about that. News. Oh yeah. So we will have to wait and see about that. Mm-hmm. So today, as we're recording, the NFL appears to be back in the swing of things, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Some teams have begun to reopen their team facilities. Okay. Leading the way is the Atlanta Falcons. They're also joined by the Indianapolis Colts. Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys, and Arizona Cardinals. Okay. So they are starting to slowly open up some of their facilities, allowing about 15 to 20 people in at a time. Um, and they're targeting around June 1st for stadiums. Okay. Now, to what varying degree, it's kind of going back and forth. So I say stay tuned to NFL.com. Um, it's just it's hearing the teams are going to start slowly coming back in yeah. to a sense of normalcy to get a season started is good news to hear. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to see it. I mean, like I say, it's just right now the numbers are kind of a little varied about what's going on because obviously depending on where the teams are located, right. different rules are in, in place. Right. The only thing we do know definitely is these teams are opening up, and like I say, it's about 15 people. They're hoping by 20 at the end of the week, according to the article we're reading. And stadiums you know, are looking around June 1st. It's, that sounds like the consensus date. Mm-hmm. I don't know officially what's going to happen, just obviously right. with everything with C-19. It's a wait-and-see attitude. So yeah. as long as everybody is following the guidelines given, we'll start getting back to whatever the new normal is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see it. I know the football schedule came out, and it's good to start talking about sports again. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited to see it. I saw uh, pictures of Ben Roethlisberger shaved his beard. Listen, he grew that thing in an absurd amount of time. Well, he said that beard. That beard I remember in he was like mountain man length in like four weeks. It was absurd. Yeah, it's something crazy. But he said he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna shave it until he was ready to throw again. Yeah, that's I do. Been, I do remember that's that. That's been the tagline. So allegedly he's ready to go. So Steelers fans, you gotta be happy about that. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. Football season is fastly approaching. Mm-hmm. So we just gotta stay focused on that and everything else going on to get sports back on track. That being said, the music you heard at the beginning of the show is that of Fair City Fire. There are friends from Austin, Texas. They got some news going on, so definitely check out faircityfire.com. But we're gonna be closing the show with our friends Shout at the Robots doing a little back-to-back days of their great music. Where do you find their music, Pad? Uh, the OchoDoraParleyHour.com. Slash music. Excellent. You can find them on the music directory along with Floodlands, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, and a bunch of other bands being named, too. We got a couple that have been trying to come on the show, too. So uh, just a programming note that Yard Party and Tom Jolu are going to be the first two acts we have on for bands. Okay. And once everything's a little more cleared up. They're locked in, so anybody else is going to have to unfortunately wait, but we're definitely going to be lining up some more people to talk to as the year is progressing onward. But where do you find out about every band that's on here? OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can also swing on to, over to the OchoDuroParleyHour.com directory or the ODPH directory and check out everything going on with Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming. Still doing Final Fantasy VII. Got some other things in the work on the Off the Cuff Gaming YouTube channel pad. Okay. And Excite Wrestling has got some stuff. Johnny Moose is posting a lot on Facebook. So 
maybe something's going to get announced soon. I know he's itching to get back into the business and definitely bring everybody the best in independent pro wrestling. So definitely support them to go check out what they got going on. And on that page, you can also check out all the great pod chaser lists that we are a part of. So shout out to our fellow pod groups, pod nation, the independent pod or the legion of independent podcasts, alternate reality radio, the apocalypse community. And of course, hashtag six Oh seven podcast, which we got to give a shout out to rich Ron and hashtag, Big Natty Cool, still on Twitter. Oh, boy. At Big Natty Cool Diesel. So they got a lot going on with two brand-new Patreon shows coming out to on their patreon.com slash 8122productions.com. You got to go over and check out what they got cooking because Ron has I Love Movies, got some great stuff coming down. I, I heard a couple things getting rumored to be added. To, he's going to be covering, so definitely want to check that out. And, of course, Love is Scary. New content coming, Pad. Oh, boy. Batting down the hatches. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gets you a comfy seat at the table. Everything you want to know about them going on, check on over at 8122productions.com. And also on the ODPH webpage, you can check out everything going on with live stream for The Cure going down May 27th through the 31st on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys. Nick and Justin are leading the way with a bunch of other great content creators going to be raising money for the Cancer Research Institute to help kick cancer's ass. We are proud to be a part of that. It's going to be a hashtag 607 block taking over Sunday, May 31st, 1 to 2 p.m., where Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, Rich from 3FN, and I are going to be sitting down talking about the worst video game movies ever, Pat. Oh, boy. Which we have a lot. We we're, say It's a long list. We're narrowing down that list. And then we have to also give our recommendations for what games should have been made in movies okay. that we haven't seen yet. And for anybody that does any early donations for Livestream for the Cure, which we do have the button for that as well on the ODPH page, if you send us proof of it, send us a DM, send us a screenshot that you have donated for it and you give us your picks for the worst video game movie ever and what games should have been made into a movie, we will give you a shout-out and read your picks on air. All of that you can check on over at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only, Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.